Today we close out a series of messages that I have entitled, Searching for Justice in Unjust Times, and we are looking at Habakkuk. I'm going to read a long portion of the book, and then we're going to talk about um, the second half of chapter 2 and a few verses in chapter 3 as we close this study out. If you have a copy of God's Word, we're in Habakkuk chapter 2. As I've stated, the easiest way possible to find it is to go find Matthew and go left four or five books till you find Habakkuk. Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 6 and following, read, Shall not all these take up their taunt against him with scoffing and riddles for him and say, Woe to him who heaps up what is not his own. For how long? And loads himself with pledges. Will not your debtors surely arise? And those awake who will make you tremble? Then you will be spoiled for them. Because you have plundered many nations. Remember, he's talking about the Chaldeans. He's talking about the Babylonians, that culture and that nation. They've plundered many nations. And all the remnant of the peoples shall plunder you. For the blood of man and violence to the earth, to cities and all who dwell in them. Woe to him who gets evil gain for his house. To set his nest on high. To be safe from the reach of harm. You have devised shame for your house by cutting off many peoples. You have forfeited your life. For the stone will cry out to the wall. And the beam from the woodwork shall respond. Woe to him who builds a town with blood and founds a city on iniquity. Behold. Is it not from the Lord of hosts that peoples labor merely for fire and nations weary themselves for nothing? For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Woe to him. Woe to him who makes his neighbors drink and pour out your wrath and make them drunk in order to gaze at their nakedness. You will have your feel of shame instead of glory. Drink yourself and show your uncircumcision. The cup in the Lord's right hand will come around to you. And utter shame will come upon your glory. Verse 17, the violence done to Lebanon will overwhelm you. As will the destruction of the beast that terrified them for the blood of man and violence to the earth, to cities and all who dwell in them. What profit is an idol when its maker has shaped it? A metal image, a teacher of lies. For its maker trusts in his own creation when he makes speechless idols. Woe to him. Who says to a wooden thing, awake, to a silent stone, arise. Can this teach? Behold, it is overlaid with gold and silver and there is no breath at all in it. But the Lord, but the Lord is in his holy temple. 
Let all the earth keep silence before him. A prayer of, of Habakkuk, the prophet, according to Shigiothnoth. I wish those names would be like John and Sam. Verse 2. O Lord, I have heard the report of you. And your work, O Lord, do I fear. In the midst of the years, revive it. In the midst of the years, make it known. In wrath, remember mercy. God came from Teman, the Holy One from Mount Paran. His splendor covered the heavens and the earth was full of His praise. His brightness was like the light. Rays flashed from His hand and there He veiled His power. Before Him went pestilence and plague followed at His heels. He stood and measured the earth. He looked and shook the nations. Then the eternal mountains were scattered. The everlasting hills, they sank low. His... His were the everlasting ways. I saw the tents of cushion in affliction, the curtains of the land of Midian. They did tremble. Was your wrath against the rivers, O Lord? Was your anger against the rivers and your indignation against the sea when you rode on your horses, on your chariot of salvation? You stripped the sheath from your bow, calling for many arrows, you split earth with rivers. The mountains saw you and they writhed. Raging waters they swept on. The, the deep gave forth its voice. It lifted its hands on high. The sun and moon, they stood still in their place at the light of your arrows as they sped. At the flash of your glittering spear, you marched through the earth in fury. You're, you threshed the nations in anger. You went out for the salvation of your people, for the salvation of your anointed. You crushed the head of the house of the wicked, laying him bare from thigh to neck. You pierced with his own arrows the heads of his warriors who came like a whirlwind to scatter me. Rejoicing as if to devour the poor in secret. You, you trampled the sea with your horses. The surging of mighty waters. I hear and my body trembles. My lips quiver at the sound. Rottenness enters into my bones. My legs, they tremble beneath me. Yet, I quietly wait for the day of trouble. I quietly wait for the day of trouble to come upon the people. Who invade us. Listen as he closes out in these last three verses. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive, though it fail, and the fields yield no food, the flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take you. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. 
God, the Lord, is my strength. He makes my feet like deers. He makes me tread on the high places. To the choir master, stringed instruments. Heavenly Father, the second half of this book, the second half of this prophecy, God, may we see you clearly this morning. Father, would you uh, peel back the, the layers of callousness? Father, would you allow your word? Lord, we stand. We stand on the promise of your word that your word is sharper than a two-edged knife. God, that you speak to us as individuals through your word. And this is your word. Your word is truth. And Father, yes, something that was written some 26 or 2700 years ago. We might think it is ancient. It is an antique. But Father, it is so spot on for 2017. God, may that come across to the people in this room this morning. That your word is eternal. Father, show us where we stand with you. And draw us close. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen. Three thoughts this morning. As we close out this look or this search for justice. Three thoughts. Let me give those thoughts to you and then we will speak about each one of those. The first thought is this, that the source of the problem is spoken of in chapter 2. Second, not only do we see that the source of the problem is spoken of, there's a solution. The solution to cure the problem is rejoiced over. And then finally we will see, and hopefully for all of us, the situation is accepted. So let's look first at this thought, the source of the problem is spoken of. All the way through chapter 2. Chapter 2, verse 6, all the way down through verse 20, there are a number of woes given. God is speaking through his prophet to not only Israel, but he is speaking to his, through his prophet Habakkuk to the nation of Babylon, to the Chaldeans as they are called. And he is speaking to you and to me even some 2,600 years after the fact If our lives encapsulate similar things, there are a number of woes that are given. I just want to give you the bookends this morning. I just want us to look at the bookends because I believe they are enough. And if we see the bookends of these woes, we will understand the rest of them. So let's start in verse number 6. Verse number 6, let me read it for us again. It states this, Shall not all these take up their taunt against him with scoffing and riddles for him? And would they say, 
Woe to him who heaps up what is not his own. For how long? And loads himself with pledges. Will not your debtors suddenly arise and those awake who will make you tremble? Then you will be spoiled for them. The source of the problem is spoken of. And the source of the problem is what some have called the original sin. Some have called the greatest sin. And it is the sin of pride. It is the sin of pride. The pride of life is the source, and you and I must be careful not to think that you and I are not a prideful people. Even when you and I might state that we are humble, we might laughingly say, yes, I'm humble, and let me tell you why. Let me show you how humble I am. And in that statement, or in those statements, there is pride. Pride kills from the inside. It says that I am better than you. I deserve this, so I will do whatever it takes to get it because I want it. And I believe I deserve it. And that's exactly what the Chaldeans, the Babylonians, were all about. A man by the name of Lewis Smedes. He's a great Christian writer. He defined pride this way, and you'll see it on the screen. He defined it this way. Pride in the religious sense... Pride is an arrogant refusal to let God be God. It is to grab God's status for one's self. Pride, look at that again, pride in the religious sense, it's an arrogant refusal to let God be God. Have you ever had this thought cross your gray matter? I know you haven't, it's just me, so I'll let you into my mind for just a moment. Hey God, I'll take care of this today. You you go deal with whoever, wherever, but what's happening right now, yeah, I know I've got to do that, and whatever's happening right now, I will take care of that. You just go deal with those other things. That's pride. Pride, in the religious sense, is an arrogant refusal to let God be God. I'm not God. God is God. Therefore, He is the one that's going to take care of that. It is to grab God's status for oneself. But also, pride, he continues, is turning down God's invitation to join the dance of life as a creature in His garden and wishing instead to be Creator. Independent, reliant on one's own resources, and finally he states, pride is the grand illusion. Pride is the fantasy of fantasies. It is the cosmic put on. And we Americans have that t-shirt in so many colors. And we Americans have that t-shirt in so many ways that we don't even think about it. And on that one bookend, 
God tells the Babylonians and he tells us Americans, he tells us at Riverbend, he tells the person that you look at in the mirror, woe to you if that's how you live your life. You and I must check our heart. For every single one of us are prone to pride. Every single one of us are prone to think that we are better than others. And you and I need to ask God to search our heart right now. And if I'm honest, at 1048 this morning... Some of you don't need to listen to another word that I have to say. And I've got a couple more words to say because I'm a Baptist preacher. But some of you don't need to listen to another word that I have to say. You just need to sit right where you are and ask God, search me. What what is in my heart? What is in my heart? Because if it is this, if it is pride, God, show me where it is so that I might renounce it, I might confess it, I might call it the same thing that you call it, black sin, and it is an offense against you, and I might come back to you. That is what some, if not all of us need right now at this moment. But if you see the other bookend of this source of the problem, it hits home as well. Look there in verse number 17. Excuse me, verse 18. It states this. What profit is an idol? When its maker has shaped it, a metal image, a teacher of lies... For its maker trusts in his own creation. When he makes speechless idols, woe to him who says to a wooden thing, Awake, to a silent stone, arise. Can this teach? Behold, it's overlaid with gold and silver, and there's no breath in it at all. Do you have idols? Do you have idols? Well, in our culture, you know, the Christian South, where everyone's grandmother told them about Jesus, where everyone is familiar with at least two Bible passages, you know, John 3.16 and Psalm 23. Every single one of us would say we don't have idols, that we don't have this stone as Habakkuk states or this piece of wood or this piece of metal that we create and we bow down to. We say that's the craziest thing ever, to look on a television screen at a a a horde of people, millions upon millions, who every morning take a piece of of stick and burn incense over a piece of metal that was formed by a person and bow down and worship that idol. 
Yes, you are correct. We don't have shrines like the Middle East or even the Far East cultures of our day. But to say that you and I don't have idols, that's a lie. To say that you and I don't bow down to idols is a lie. You and I bow down when schedules are made that take us away from the most important relationships that you and I have. You and I bow down when we're okay with failing to heed the command that God gave to his people in Hebrews chapter 10 verses 24 and 25 and it states these words and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. We bow down to idols when we won't go below the surface to stir one another up to good deeds. Or, verse 25, when we neglect to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as we see the day drawing near. When you and I neglect to meet together because of laziness, because of sports schedules, theater schedules, putting family first instead of God, placing all our time, energy, focus on our kids, our affluence, our apathy of thought. Maybe you came this morning and said, you know what, we're going to sing four songs, the preacher's going to stand up and say a couple of good sentences, and then I'm going to go about my day. Maybe that's how you thought last week, and you didn't come. Maybe that's how you're going to think next week, and you're not going to come. It's wrong for us to place idols above God, no matter what the idol is. Has God blessed you? You better believe that he has. Has God blessed me? You better believe that he has. He has blessed us beyond measure. Habakkuk looked at those Babylonians and said, how is it that they think that this piece of wood, metal, or stone is going to save them? When you and I place something above God, it is sin. It is sin in my life and it's sin in your life when these things occur. And there's two things that you can do with sin. There's two things that this word says that you and I can do with sin. The first is that we can cover it up and just go about our day. We can cover it up and say, you know what, yeah, but I'm better than that person down the street. Yeah, but, but I know, but that's just how I am I've got this temper, that's how God created me, so therefore I don't have to deal with it. Yep, I know, but, but I, I'm just going to cover that up. Or, we can call it what it is. And we can call it an idol, we can call it sin, and we can say, you know what? As, as a brother in Christ, I did not do what I was supposed to do with you. 
I didn't ask you the hard questions. I didn't get in your life to figure out exactly where you were, where you needed help. I had to do that this week with a couple of folks that um, are members here. I had to sit down with them and have a tough conversation and say, you know what, I'm sorry. I, I know that what you're going through and I know the issues that are there and just to be honest, I didn't do what I was supposed to do as a brother, let alone as your pastor. You think I wanted to have that conversation? Nope. You think that conversation needed to be had? Yeah, about six months ago. So why don't we just call it what it is, confess it to our Father, who is so willing to forgive, and He, as it's been stated, I've stated it over and over again, I am so thankful that He is a greater Savior than I am a sinner, and I am a great sinner. And let's just be honest, I preach to a lot of great sinners. But He's a better Savior. So why not call it what it is? We bow down to idols. They look different than the idols in this passage, but we all have idols. When we elevate those things, those blessings and those things that God has given above the Creator Himself, and we see a solution. A solution. A solution to the cure that the problem has shown us. Chapter 2, we've got to look at these quickly, but chapter 2, it is dark, right? Man, that's a hard passage. There's a lot of woes. There's some issues that hit home with me. There's some issues that hit home with you. But in that passage, there are two bright spots. And I want to look at the first one last and the last one first. So look there in verse number 20. As he closes these woes out, Habakkuk says this, but the Lord is in his holy temple. And let all the earth keep silence before him, but the Lord is in his holy temple. The the statement is this, that the Lord is where he has always been and always will be. He is not a piece of wood, a piece of metal, or a stone that has been created. No, he is the creator who has created all things. And he is exactly where he's supposed to be in his temple, on high, ruling and reigning for all to see. For the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before him. But there's one other shining light in this passage, and I believe it is one that is central to the whole theme of the book. In chapter 2, verse 14, it states this, For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. In 2005, I found myself in the middle of the country of Bangladesh. There were two of us that were there and... And we were there to teach pastors 
but one of the days we were out in the village, in a certain village, and, and a whole tribe who did not know Christ came up. They, they heard that some foreigners had come in. It was a, a unique situation. I was scared to death. Just to be honest, while I was in the country of Bangladesh, 150 bombs went off while I was there. And I thought this whole tribe was coming to uh, kill two white guys from the United States. I was scared. And I said, hey, why don't you talk to them? I'm going inside with the pastors and we'll pray for you. (laughs) But here's what happened. Here's what happened. The leader of that tribe sat for five hours and was walked through by two Americans and some pastors through the Gospel of John. And they heard the good news. And a whole tribe, we just sang about it, that were enemies are now seated at the table. The earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. That moment and one other changed my whole thought. There was a a native Christian who stated this and it cut so deep. It cut so deep. He stated this to my face. He said, um, you American Christians, you in the United States, you know a lot about God. You got all the books. You got all the seminaries. You got all the training. You know a lot about God. But we know him. Talk about cutting you. And at first, I didn't know how to take it. First, that bookend of pride just swelled up. So what are you talking about? The word no here, I believe the guy in Bangladesh understood it. The word no is not a knowledge about something, but it is an intimate understanding and relationship of knowing the most delicate items of an individual. It it is this relationship, a marriage relationship, where you know everything about the spouse. And Habakkuk is crying out that the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Has it happened? Not yet, but it will. Has it happened? There are glimpses, there are pockets, there are moments, there are people, there are times. Yet there will be a day as the prophet is looking forward Whereas the water covers the sea, the world will know. The world will know the glory of the Lord.
as all these things we see, and I must come to a close, the Lord, creator of all things, is in His holy temple. The knowledge of the Lord is filling the whole of the earth. When life stinks, you and I need to know that He is ruling. When life hurts, He is ruling. When losses add up, He is ruling. When jobs are lost, when kids rebelled, when husbands and wives walk out, when dads and moms are gone, when the wife nags or the husband cuts down, when the boss is bossy, when the baby whines or the parents whine, He is ruling and reigning. Those moments, for you and for me, we need to understand that this solution to the problem is given and is rejoiced over. And finally, I come to that third thought. Look at the last three verses of the book. Habakkuk 3, 17 through 19, and I'll close. Do you remember last week or two weeks ago how we saw the book open, how Habakkuk's complaint was that God wasn't working, that justice was paralyzed and it was lost. There was no way that any good thing could come out of it because God was not present. Here's how he closes. It's a prayer. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive, though it might fail, and the fields yield no food, though the flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls, though you see the question or the, the, the spot, though everything that I have is taken away from me, though all the issues that I've been complaining about, they even escalate, and my place is worse off today than it was five weeks, five years ago. Things aren't getting better. They're getting worse. And there seems to be no answer in sight yet. Verse 18. I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God, the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the deers. He makes me tread on my high places. The situation in front of Habakkuk is accepted. The situation in front of you. Will you accept it? Will you accept it? Will you accept if 2017 is worse than 2016? Will you accept if 2020 is worse than 2014? The solution is given. And what's the solution? God is ruling and reigning. He's ruling and reigning today. He's ruling and reigning forevermore. He was ruling and reigning when your life was great. He will be ruling and reigning when your life is terrible. And he's ruling and reigning and everywhere in between. Will you accept that? Habakkuk says, I'll accept it. Though there's no, no food, though there's no animals, though there's nothing that looks on the horizon as if it's going to get any better, 
I'll rejoice. I'll rejoice. Hey, mom and dad, will you rejoice? Hey, students, will you rejoice? Hey, Brian, will you rejoice? Heavenly Father, we have this thought, Lord, that it's going to get better. We have this hope, Father, that tomorrow is going to be sunny and because it's sunny outside, it's going to be okay. Father, I pray for every single one of us this morning. I pray that, that our, our hope in the temporal things, the 70 plus years that you give us on this planet, God, that I realize and we realize that it's not just going to be good times. That in the midst of the valley that you have us walking in, in the midst of the heartache, in the midst of the loss, in the midst of the, the sin that so easily entangles and ensnares us, you want me and us to look to you. Yes, one day you're going to wipe all of this away and there will be a new heaven and a new earth. We will, those of us who are yours, your sons, your daughters, we will praise you around your throne forever because you are worthy of it. God, may we uh, be reminded of that when life stinks this week. When the questions arise and we don't have the answers, may we be reminded of that, that the solution has been given, that you reign. And may we bow down to you and nothing else. May we voluntarily give up everything because you have so much more and so much greater things for us. Father, would you move? Would you draw us to yourself and thank you for hard passages? Thank you for times in the mirror that we must answer and not turn away. Father, may every single man and every single woman, every boy, every girl answer you this morning. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen.